morning, church. Good morning. To start things off, I'm going to have Christian Baton, one of our tag students, read the teaching text this morning. The teaching text is as follows. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is Romans 8, 26, 28. Great. Thank you. Word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Awesome. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Zach. And along with my lovely wife and team, we lead this campus. Welcome to church. And we just hope that you feel, and I say this, but I really mean it and sincerely mean it. We just hope that you feel seen, known, and loved, not only by our community, but more importantly, by God. Glad you're here today. Today, we continue in a teaching series um, on prayer. Everyone say prayer. Prayer. prayer is crucial. Um, my mind is exploding with just like where to go about prayer uh, just at the, at the top. But, it, but I would put it this way. It links us with the source of life. Without prayer, we will disintegrate. Let me put it that way. And so my main point, just to jump in, my main point today is that God wants us to know. He wants you to know that we can pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We can pray underneath his love and care and direction and perfect knowledge even, hmm. perfect uh, connection with the will of the Father. We can pray with this power. How is this possible through the Holy Spirit? How does this happen? Well, today I want to talk about this topic. But before we jump in, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of 40 days to Easter, a journey we're calling a journey of prayer and consecration. This is a journey together as a community as we approach the cross and the resurrection. And we're doing this as a church family, but we're also doing this with thousands and arguably millions and millions of other saints around the world. And it's a beautiful thing as we kind of orient our lives and our hearts to this incredible thing, the center of creation, the center of history, the cross and resurrection. And so... If you haven't jumped in um, on this journey, that's okay. But I just want to encourage you, today is the day, okay? Like, today is the day to jump in, and even if you're a little bit late on it, it's okay. Um, what this journey looks like, we've been, we, I didn't really get to talk to you about this, because we just jumped into the series and prayer consecration. But we, we did a lot of prayer and seeking after the Lord. What do you want this Lent season to look like? And we feel like God put on this, like, directional kind of thing where we look up, we look in, and we look out. And so much of the world that we live in um, is vying for those things. Don't look up, look, at, look down at your phone. You know, don't look in, everything's external. Don't look out, just worry about yourself kind of thing, right? But there's something really countercultural that I think God is inviting us into. And so just practically looking up is we just would invite everyone to pray Three times a day. It could be for 10 seconds or 10 hours. <laughs> um, maybe not 10 hours because that doesn't work out math wise. But three times, just morning, noon, and then before you go to sleep. 
Man, if you start to do this, it will nourish you even more than the food you eat those three times. Um, and one way we do that is that we have a Zoom meeting at 6.30 in the morning. Many of you guys have joined. Uh, just for 30 minutes, we come together as a community and we pray. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you haven't done that, just as a pastor here, I want to encourage you to do that. It is worth the effort. Just wake up a little bit earlier and start to feel sort of like nourished um, from the inside out and for each other. And then we look in, and, and by the way, if you want to join that link, it's on our website, uh, onechapel.com slash prayer. Our link's right there. And we look in, and so we're also fasting. Many of us have been fasting. There's been some radical fasting. One of our own has fasted, did a water fast for 21 days. Um, she should be up here preaching, probably. Uh, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's just a day. Maybe it's something else. And so we're looking in and we're concentrating ourselves. And then we look out and we're contending for our, our region. How many of you guys know that there's, there, there's some contending that needs to happen for our city, for our state, for our nation, for the world? Right, so we look up, we look in, and we look out. And so I don't want you to miss this, this journey. Um, and I, I, I want us to be expectant. I'm, I am so expectant for the joy that God has for us. For this Easter Sunday, it's not just this annual thing, all right, next, but it's something that God is really doing, I think, um, with the church in this cultural hour. And so I would love for us, and I'm kind of like forecasting, I'd love for us as we get to Good Friday to look back on our 40 days and say, I was this, I was blank, okay? I was contending for something. I was praying for something. I was looking for deeper connection. I was looking for freedom. I was praying for my child, whatever the case may be. And, then, and now, on the other side of 40 days of pressing in, I'm seeing breakthrough. I'm seeing more hope in my life. I'm seeing connections or things like that. And so I hope this has a deep resonance for you. Um, part of me wants to start off with a story and just, you know, get your attention that way. But I think that this is more important. I think it's really important that we do this there's power in unity, and when we, when we lean in and we're intentional, something powerful begins to happen. And so it's a heartbeat that's like, God, I am, I don't even know how, but I am after you. I want more of you. I'm hungry for you. And I'm, so I'm consecrating myself. I'm allowing, I'm putting away the sweets of the world so that I can experience the sweetness of your presence and of your will and of your goodness and of your word. We're joining in with the world, the church worldwide. This is a heart of devotion that we're after. And so maybe maybe that's your heart. Is that your heart? Maybe that's your heart. And that's awesome. Maybe you've had moments of that. Maybe like micro moments where you're just like leaping. Like, I, 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 I do want more. And I believe that that's the case for you guys. You guys are here. I want more of you. Over the last several weeks, maybe you've had these, these moments. But if you're like me, y'all, <laughs> uh, you've probably run into a problem as you've pursued these things. And... Whether you've been on this journey or just in Christianity in general, maybe you've found yourself in a problem um, when it comes to prayer. Like prayer is sometimes hard, right? I mean, am I the only one? It's like prayer is like, I've realized to pray, you have to befriend boredom. Like you should just normalize boredom in your life, right? And you should befriend silence, things that we are just not accustomed to. But when we do, man, it becomes a landing pad for heaven and for intimacy with God. So the, the, the problem, though, with prayer and with discipleship is many. But I think if I can be so bold, so brash, the problem with prayer and with discipleship is you. 
The problem is you. The problem is me. There is a fundamental sense of self that we have to get rid of. We just have to get rid of it if we actually want to live in the potential and prayer life that Jesus prophesied and prayed to the Father that we would have. There's a, a false sense of self, a false identity even, that we need to get rid of. We need to trade that for our truest identity. Everyone say truest identity. So I'm just kind of walking down Main Street with this one, all right? Problem's you. <laughs> Problem is me. But I think this is important to address. So last week, um, I was coming out of church, uh, our church service, <clears throat> and I was just walking my mom out, and she's like, being, being mom, if you haven't met my mom, my mom's awesome, I'm meet her. Uh, she's just like, hey son, how are you? How are you, son? And I was like, oh, mom, I'm good. You know, busy, life's crazy. A lot on my plate, um, there's a lot going on, and, but I'm good. And she was like, well, son, I, I guess that's what they call adulting. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what they call it. I was honestly like a little bit offended, like just a tiny little bit. And I'm like, mom, I'm helping a spiritual community walk through life through the highs and lows of life itself. Okay, this is more than adulting. <laughs> and she was just smiling at me. And, uh, but I was like, after I was like, you're right, mom. I, I do have a lot of maturing to do. I really do. And so I was like, you're right. Um, but then I started thinking about this idea of adulting. You guys ever heard that term? Like, I'm adulting, right? Especially millennials. It's like, oh, we're all adulting. 37 years old, still adulting. But, uh, you know, so I was thinking about adulting, and I was like, man, yeah, that's true. I do need more of that. Like, I do need more adults in my life. But then I also thought about how there's, like, this shadow side or this dark side to adulting. Um, there's, like, this negative about adulting as well. You know, we tend, and especially when it's connected to our, our identity, and so track with me here, I think we tend to base our sense of self. If I were to say, who are you? What is your identity? How would you answer that? I think a lot of times we base our sense of self and our identity on, let's call it adult concerns, Okay. Henry Nouwen, um, who I love, author and prolific theologian and just uh, contemplative, he proposed that there are five lies of identity, okay? Five pervasive lies of identity. So in, in essence, he's saying, who I am, this is for you to, to think, who I am, my identity, is based on what I have. If I have all this stuff, then that sort of, um, my identity is attached to those things and it qualifies my identity, it validate, uh, validates my identity, what I have. The second line is what I do. If, I, if I'm a mother or a father, if I'm a pastor or if I'm an executive or if I'm an artist or whatever the case may be, it's like that's who I am. The third one is what people say or think of me. You know, it's like your community, or think of social media, that's a huge microcosm right there. It's just like, as long as people think, whatever they think of me, it could be actually hot, good things or, or bad things. And then with that is the fourth lie is my worst moments. I am, I am who I am is based on my worst moments. And I think that is often connected to shame. It's like, I could have done that better. Like why, that's who I am, because I did that. But that thing happened to me. That thing happened to me, that's my worst moment. This is who I am. 
And lastly, I am who I am is based on my best moments. And this is maybe, if I can be so just clear and blunt, it's just like maybe pride. It's like, I, look at all the things that I've done. This is who I am, right? Just riding on the peaks of our life. Mm-hmm. However, those are all five false conceptions of our identity. And maybe you could relate to one of those. If you look like me, you can relate to all of those. It's constantly, we have to shed this false sense of self. If we're depending on these things, we're not going to really depend on God as much because this is our metric. The gospel teaches us that our truest identity, who are you? Who, what is the realest, truest part of you? The truest part of who we are is based on our relationship with God as his child. And I think we know this. If you're like me, I think, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think I'm not in my mind around that. Maybe not, and that's okay too, but... We need to allow that to sink deep into our hearts. We would be transformed if we just allowed this to sink into the corners of our being. Even Jesus lived out this childlike dependent identity. God, Jesus, lived out this identity. Everything that Jesus did was birthed from this position, this priority in his life, and prayer life. If you read through the scriptures, we just, you can tell he couldn't conceive of himself outside of his relationship with the Father. I just do what I see the Father doing. Right? And he didn't conceive of himself outside of the Father, his relationship with the Father, and he also couldn't conceive of himself outside of the influence of the Holy Spirit. So the invitation is that we shouldn't either. This is a, this is, I want to just kind of make a case that this is the posture of prayer that we need to take on. It's from his adopted child. This is, we get to live out inheritance from this place. We get to call down the truth and beauty and goodness and redemption of heaven. And it's from this, this co-heired position with Christ. We are children of God praying to the Father just like Jesus And it is by the hope and help of the Holy Spirit. These are all connected. So before we jump into the teaching text that Christian so eloquently read, um, I want to give a little bit of context. That's going to be our key text. So feel free to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. And we're going to dial in on that verse. Man, that verse, I've been chewing on it all week, and there's so much there. And so we're going to try to unpack a few of those things in that passage. But before... A little context. So the Apostle Paul, you probably heard of him, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome where there's a lot of division in this church community in Rome. There's a lot of division going on. There's a lot of theological misunderstanding. And there's a lot of suffering going on. So Paul is writing with this intention to provide this Christian community, not unlike our own community, with direction, encouragement. He wants to encourage their hearts, their soul, their intellect, and he wants to provide them guidance. And so in chapter 8, the whole section is about, if you read through chapter 8, and I highly encourage you to on your own, but you'll notice a motif, you'll notice a theme, and that theme is hope. And it's also, and it's hope as, as children of God. Do I really live my life knowing that I am a child of God? My kids walk around and like, that's, that, that's the only way they live. That's the only way they get stuff. 
You know, it's like they know that their identity is their where I'm his father. I'm, I'm her father. And so God wants Paul, God through Paul is telling us, reminding us of the hope we have as children of God and the help we have through the spirit. And so throughout this chapter, Paul's encouraging this church of this reality of their identity in Christ. And that the Holy Spirit is the one who's implementing this reality in their lives and in their lifestyle and in their hearts. Throughout this, this chapter, it is riddled with all of these themes, okay? All of the works of the Holy Spirit. We have it in verse 2, 4, 5, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, 15, and 16. All of these are the works of the Holy Spirit. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through all of these verses, but I do want to read verse 14 through 16 as we kind of tee things up. And I read it during worship this morning, but I think it's so good. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, let me start over. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So knowing our identity as, as children of God is crucial for who you are as a person. And it's crucial for your prayer life. And this is forged. This, this reality is forged and fastened by the power and help of the Holy Spirit. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, you guys have your Bibles out probably for that. We're also going to have it on the Sky Bible behind me. So you just open up your eyeballs. Um, let's dial in here. We're going to kind of go a little bit more microscopic, maybe. We're going to go in and we're going to go out. So it says this in 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Everyone say weakness. Weakness. So as mentioned, I'm going to kind of like park on this for a second. This opening phrase is called a connecting phrase in, in biblical study. So in the same way, is linking what Paul is about to say with all of the other things that has been said, particularly about hope and the, and the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, and I really want to highlight the fact that it's, a, it's, it's about our adoption as, as sons and daughters of God. I'm really peppering you with that because I want it to sink in. So it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I want to point out a couple things from just even that line right there. Number one is, I love how the Scripture how the scripture doesn't say God's like, He sees our weakness and He's just like, bro, why are you so weak? <laughs> Zach, geez, Zach, you're just weak all the time. right? Just like, get your act together. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. God actually sees our weakness and he doesn't respond like the brokenness of mankind often does. He responds with help. See your weakness. I'm not calling it out, actually. I'm sending, the contrary, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to help you. I think this is a picture of the Father's part. The second one thing I want to mention from that verse is, this is written by who? Paul, right. And Paul is pretty great. <laughs> like, he's pretty great. Yeah. Like, next, he's a giant of faith. 
Like next to Jesus, he's probably brought more spiritual, theological, and missional substance to the world and to the church. Besides Jesus, he, he is he's a titan in this regard. But, in, but notice that Paul doesn't say, the Spirit helps you. Spirit helps you in your weakness. Because i got to figure it out. I'm an apostle. He doesn't say that. He says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Right? Sometimes just a couple pronouns can really you know, extrapolate a lot of meaning in the text. So Paul is, is in touch with his weakness and his helplessness. I don't know, sometimes I'm like, am I even in touch with my weakness? Like, are you guys in touch with your weakness? Sometimes it almost, God allows, somehow, in his goodness, <laughs> he's sovereign, but he allows affliction to happen. So we can kind of be dislodged from comfort and self-reliance. And then we can come to a place of weakness and then it energizes our whole position in prayer life. And Paul was in touch with these things. And I think it's, in many ways, it was because he was in touch Paul's in touch with his childlike identity with God. I think these things are very much linked together. So I love, I just love Paul's example. This passage is reminding us to depend on God like a child and to pray to God as our father. You know, in Christianity, um, there are a lot of paradoxes. To live, you must die. To truly be filled, you must give. True authority looks like serving. And there's another one I want to point out for our purposes today, and it's strong Christians are the most in touch with their weakness. Strong Christians, <laughs> the paradox, are most in touch with their weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, he talks about how he got a word from Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. And he got this, this word, and he quotes Jesus in 2 Corinthians. He says, my grace, Jesus speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. It's complete in weakness. In, the, in his book, uh, a, prayer, a Prayer Life, Connecting with God in a Distracted World, Paul Miller, awesome book, especially if you want to learn about just prayer. Um, I'm getting a lot of material actually from this book. Paul Miller points out, strong Christians pray more because they have a clear sense of their own weakness. Less mature Christians have little need to pray because they have taken the idiot approach to life, <laughs> which, forgets, which forgets weakness and thinks they can come up with a solution to every problem or, or can plan one, and therefore does not pray. When we embrace weakness... And this childlike dependence on God, it actually, as mentioned, it motivates something from deep within us. It energizes our prayer life. So let's continue in Romans chapter 8, 26b. And b just means like the second half of that verse. We do not know what, what, uh, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to unpack here, and we're probably not going to be able to touch on everything. But the overarching 
message and thrust of what the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit wants us to know is that he, he wants to encourage us in our weakness to pray. <laughs> you should pray. And that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Okay? And so I want to I point out other things. It's just so good when we read scripture to just point out doctrine, I think. And so I want to point out that another, another reminder from the scripture here and from this verse, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay? He's a person. He's the third member of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not an impersonal force. I know most of you guys know this, but maybe some of you don't. That's totally okay. That's what this is for. He's not, he's not an impersonal force. Only a person can pray for you. Right? We see that from the text. And so it also shows that he's distinct from the Father. He's praying to the Father right? on our behalf. Isn't that incredible? Let your hearts be stirred by this. So if you're struggling with prayer, be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is with you. If you believe Jesus is Lord, he is with you, he is in you, and he's even praying for you. Isn't that incredible? Mm -hmm. And so let's explore this mysterious part in the middle here, verse 26b. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So I, if you look at my desk in my office right now, I have a lot of Bible dictionaries and commentaries out about this. And so I've, I've gotten like a snapshot of the landscape of the theological consensus about this. But I do want to tell you that this passage in Romans is often, not all the time, but by scholars, is often linked with a heavenly language. Okay? This is linked with praying in the Spirit. Where we're praying underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit. That, that much is true. We're praying in the, with the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's taking our groans, these this wordless sounds, and he's praying in perfect will to the Father. And so this is also this has been linked with our prayer language, and also known as speaking in tongues. And so if this is alien to you, just know that that's okay. Um, I actually grew up not with any of the... I didn't grow up as a continuationist, as the, the gifts of the Spirit continue. I, I grew up with the context that it had ceased, and that that Holy Spirit does all of His work um, through the Scripture, basically. And I got to realize that, and, and more than that, I'm not trying to like relegate it too much, but that the gifts had ceased, and I had some some incredible awakenings, and I just had a, a longing in my heart, like I know that there's more. I had a hunger. I didn't really understand it, and I'm still learning about it myself. But I had a hunger for more, and some incredible things started happening in my life. And I, I might share a few of those things in the future. But I just want to mention that this text has been linked to speaking in tongues or praying in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit... He speaks mysteries. You know, as I, I've, uh, I speak in tongues, and um, it is wonderful to me. Like it's this, and and I get it because there's like in the charismatic movement or in Pentecostalism, all that stuff. There's been a lot of like weird stuff. It's just weird. Let's just call it for what it is. Like people calling the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, like just freaking out all the kids and stuff. Like it's just not a good idea. Because it's like certain things. It's like let's contextualize this, right? And so and there's just mis there's like misuse and mis and, a, and abuse and misunderstandings and, a, and it grieves me. 
um, because I love the Holy Spirit. He just, he's so humble. He's, and he, he just proclaims the name of Jesus and he's so powerful. And he has equipped us with things that are meant to edify each other. It's like, let me gift you this. Let me give you loving, like it's empowered love to edify all those you live in community with, to glorify Jesus and to shine light into the darkness. These are, this is, and so I pray in tongues all the time. Rachel probably like, <laughs> like rolls her eyes at me because I'm not always praying in tongues in the house and uh, singing, singing in my prayer language and stuff like that. And, it, and honestly, if I could just be real with you, like I think that for me, it, it's like I can literally feel a substance of like, it's like scaffolding in my soul that's building me up from the inside out. It's a beautiful thing and it's, and it's biblical. Um, I was a missionary, if you didn't know, I was a, Rachel and I used to be missionaries with Youth With A Mission. And uh, one time uh, we were about to get ready to go on a mission trip to, to uh, Thailand. Um, mixing up Cambodia and Thailand. And uh, tragically, my little sister had passed away um, just four weeks before we were meant to go on this mission trip. And I was praying through whether I should go or not, and I felt like God said, you can go, you should go. And so even though it was super hard, I was grieving a lot, I led this team to Thailand and leading devotionals and trying to like serve uh, a family that had adopted children with HIV and just like serving them and loving them, sharing the gospel, cleaning up, pouring cement, all that stuff. And, but I was grieving a lot. Um, and I had a roommate, I was engaged to Rachel at the time, so we were obviously not in the same room, and I had a roommate, his name was Colby. And uh, he said that I had woken, so I, like the next morning, he said, bro, you woke me up last night in your sleep. I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry, what happened? He was like, you're praying in tongues in your sleep, and I opened my eyes, and I saw Jesus standing at your, at your bedside table, at your bedside. And I remember just being so moved, like, just like, are you serious? And it wasn't because I was speaking in tongues because that's more spiritual or something like that. I think I was just like praying, I need you, God, right? Just wordless groans kind of thing. And then Jesus, in his compassion, comes and just like stands over me, um, giving me comfort. Speaking in tongues is a beautiful thing. Um, and it links us with something, with God. Actually, I'd love to just give you three biblical ideas, right? Real quick here about speaking in tongues or praying um, in our prayer language. So the first one is, it's God's idea, okay? <laughs> it's God's idea. Jesus, in fact, was, not only is it in the scripture over 30 times, but it's Jesus who first introduces it to the script, in the scripture. So when did, when did speaking in a prayer language or speaking in tongues first come about in the scripture, it was out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, 17, he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, hearkening back to last week, in my name, they will speak with new tongues. This is Jesus' idea. Number two is this biblical idea from the scriptures. It's a gift that was, has been given to us, to the church, by the Holy Spirit, and it's been a gift since the conception of the church itself. It was birthed when the church was birthed. So this, this prayer language took place when the new covenant started to come alive, started to cross into our world, and when the church was birthed. And so 
Also, it's significant, I think it's really significant to mention that, excuse me, that this was, so in Mark 16, Jesus is prophesying about the future, right? He's saying, and these signs will follow those who believe. And so this is the first sign that was fulfilled by the prophecy of Jesus. So it's just like, there's significance with that. Not to mention in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, right? Love Acts 2. This, when the conception of, of the church, it's marked out with what? It's with speaking in tongues and this, this, this gift. I find that there's a lot of meaning to that. And then lastly is it builds you up from the inside out, as I was pointing out. It's like scaffolding. It just it edifies yourself. Speaking in tongues in this, in this prayer language is the only spiritual gift that the scriptures explicit, explicitly say is for you. Like every other gift is for you to like work out, to serve, and to love others. And yes, speaking in tongues, and there is there is different types, and I wish I had more time to talk about that. But the scriptures teaches us this is a gift for you, <laughs> so use it. Let's get some scripture for that. Jude 30, uh, twenty. But you, dear friends, this is the brother of Jesus. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith. And praying in the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 14.4 A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish I had a time to just preach on, on 1 Corinthians 14. Um, prophecy is more desirable. It, is, it seems more effective for, for the edification of the church, but, it's, but he's still lacing that in there. It's, it strengthens you personally. How many of you guys need some strength? <laughs> I know I do. Maybe there's, there's a releasing of this prayer language that can help with that. It, it evokes the presence of the Holy Spirit. And um, man, like there's, there's many people, it's not just like this Pentecostal thing. I was listening to an interview um, of unbelievable radio of uh, N.T. Wright being interviewed. And he's He's Anglican, and he's just talking about it. Just it evokes the presence of God. He, he's a quiet, charismatic, is how he puts it, but it really does. It's also like a launching pad for the outflow of Holy Spirit's influence from the inside. How many of you guys know that God's inside of us? He dwells inside of us, and so it becomes a launching pad for His influence and for His power and for His presence. And I also want to just caveat, like qualification. It is. You're not more spiritual if you have you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or if you speak in tongues. You're, it's it's not like you're an elite Christian or anything like that. Honestly, if you if you want to talk about a metric for spirituality, it's how well you love, it's how well you forgive, it's how generous you are. It's like those are like the true metric of spirituality. If you look at First Corinthians all the way through, it's loving. Are we loving? That's spirituality. But the gifts help. They're empowered love. And so I, I want to just give you this list. This might be helpful. The Father intended it. Jesus prophesied it. The Holy Spirit enables it. And the church releases it. We're going to move to a close. We're going to call the, the band up. So I hope that you're encouraged. You know, it's good to sometimes tackle these. Like a lot of times in the past, we would talk about subjects like this on like a Wednesday night. <laughs> um, but man, it's scripture and it's so good. And I think that, 
I think the key here is that even if you haven't released your prayer language, received or released your prayer language, um, God, I think the main thrust of what I want to put out to you guys is that God wants us to know that we can pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, we get to align ourselves. Man, how many of you guys need some alignment? I know I need alignment. My world's crazy. I need alignment within me, around me, with the perfect will of the Father, the Holy Spirit makes this happen. And we do this through posturing ourselves and like and reflecting and positioning ourselves in a childlike, dependent identity, our truest identity. So that's the point today. I hope that encourages you today. We're going to enter into uh, some time to respond in worship. You know, it's kind of how we kind of had our thinking hats on maybe a little bit for the last 20, 30 minutes. But I'd love for us to holistically enter into response time. We are, we are mind, body, soul, and spirit. And let's just kind of continue. It's just like continue with a posture of prayer and worship. As we do, though, I want to tell you a quick story. So this weekend, um, I have a four-year-old. His name is Judah. And he was sitting on my lap. And just spontaneously, I was like, I'm going to pray for him um, just to receive the Holy Spirit. And so I was like, praying over him and laying my hands on his head. Scriptures teaches us to lay hands. And he was like, he was like boiling over with energy. And then I just started to pray over him. And then he was just like, (laughs) but it was like a good kind of like thing. And I I just, I could tell that there was a peace and a joy and like a mystery and a wonder, I think, that took place. And he just like looked at me. And I was like, Judah, what does that feel like? And he was like, it feels like water. That's how he talks. It feels like water. You know, there's a passage in Romans 5. It says, God's love has been poured. It's a picture of water, I think. has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I feel like um, God wants to pour out liquid love over you and through you. And if I can, if I'm just like hearing right, I feel like there's many of us in this room who have damned parts of our own heart, parts of our own head. And he just wants to like bust through. It's like, let me just pour out my living water into all these places, in us, through us, to our families, in our marriages in our places of work, in our neighborhoods. And this happens just like Judah, I think, with just the heart of a child, trusting our Father. So let's just pray. Um, this song we're about to sing really ministered to me when I was in YWAM. Um, and so I want you to just be intentional about singing, hearing and singing, reading the lyrics as a new song for our community. But it's so powerful. It's so sweet. So would you rise with me? And we're going to worship God together and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. So let's just begin by worship and prayer.
So God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're kind and you're always gentle. Like you don't, you don't think it's an option. You're just gentle with us. Even in your correction, you're gentle. And you're good. And you're mighty. And you're wonderful. And you're majestic. So would you have your way, Holy Spirit? Would you teach us this mysterious thing of the, the power of your spirit? Would you help us to edify our own hearts, to edify those around us? We don't want to just check a box. We want to come alive. We want to see the real thing. Empower your people today, God. Empower us. Woo us back. We need you in this place. We come to you as children. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.